What's up, yo? Thanks for tuning in Asian Bitches Down Under, the podcast all about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian diaspora point of view in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show by Apple, Google or Spotify or any podcast platform of your choice. And we welcome our listeners to support our show by sending us comments, give us review and share our podcast with your fellow podcast lovers. Make sure you check out the episode's show notes for any collaborations we are working with to promote. Thanks again and we hope you enjoy today's show. So this is Asian Bitches Down Under. Guys, it is coming up towards Christmas. How are you feeling, Helen? Uh, we don't need to do that for the introduction. <laughs> well, this is Asian Bitches Down Under. I'm Jessie. This is Helen. And how's everyone? And Helen <laughs> is avoiding the question about Christmas. Um, Christmas feels like a very, um, obviously it's a Western tradition, mm-hmm. uh, Christian Western tradition. Yes. Um, I always feel a bit of, I, I guess it's it's nice because you have a few weeks leading up to Christmas where everyone kind of starts to relax more. Yeah. Um, people are drinking more, people are loosening up, um, work is no longer as important. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, this is outside of people who are in work in service industries, you know, the doctors are still going to the hospital, emergency services are still working, the police are still working. Um yeah, uh, and some journos as well. But it feels like a very kind of nice, loose couple of days before Christmas. That's what we are I hoping. Feel. That's what we yeah. were hoping. And well, to this week that we have seen a spike in cases yeah, in cases, New South yeah. Wales. Oh, my goodness. The reemergence. And it's kind of making me um, reconsider my plans about going out mm-hmm. in this coming weekend to venues, I guess, indoor venues. Yeah. I think it is a worry. I mean, personally, my anxiety level kind of spiked the last two days, just seeing the um, cases growing. And also, we do have plans as well. And my, mm. like, I'm trying to find a balance as well because my kids are asking they want to go out with friends during the school holidays, yeah. going to the movies or just getting together. And I do want to see my friends as well. So I'm trying very hard to find a balance, not to worry so much. Um, mm. By telling myself that oh, all the cases are coming out from mo- the venues that I u- I wouldn't go to like nightclubs right. and <laughs> yeah yeah. Well, I'm hearing that l- yeah, there's a, a dance party nightclub mm-hmm. um, cases that spiraled. It spiraled. Yeah, the Taylor Swift dance party or something in Sydney. Yes, I don't even know where that is. I but... think it's in CBD on it on George Street. Oh, yeah, God. opposite the cinemas. The yes, joy, yes, yeah. I know. The metro. The metro, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. And there's a massive one up on Newcastle, which I'm yes, quite well, sad about because, you know, right, Newcastle is... Because that's <laughs> the closest city to you. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Well, um, I have, we had this whole plan of going to several gigs mm-hmm. this weekend in Newtown. Now I'm kind of thinking, yeah, not sure about that. Yeah. Not I, sure I've, about that. I've been hearing, like, um, fragments of the press conference and mm. some statements made by, I think, Chief of the Health, uh, Dr. Carrie Chen. She's saying that, you know, you can take options of avoiding crowded area, crowded right. uh, gatherings just before Christmas because it's very likely that if you catch something that you're not, you're going to end up not having Christmas with your family. You know, you'll be isolated. Oh, I don't want that. Yeah, things like that. I really that. don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. So. That'll be... 
yeah, it's really not worth it. <laughs> yeah, so everyone's gonna you know make the choices of what you want to do. Yeah, I guess that's what I think.、Mm. Okay, so、yeah. what have you been doing this week? Well, I have been、um, still reading. I swear, I'll be talking about this for the next month. <laughs> the Aberdeen's、yeah. uh, memoir,、uh-huh. but、uh, conjointly we watched Weiner, which is the 2016 documentary about、okay. Aberdeen Weiner、yeah. running for mayor. It's one of my favorite documentaries of all time. It's just really well put together. Um, but it's really interesting to read that, read the book of、um, Uhuma's memoir alongside watching the documentary.、Uh-huh. Um, for all you guys who don't know, Anthony Weiner is, of course, the congressman who was famous a few years ago of like accidentally tweeting a dick pic. It wasn't actually a dick pic. It was like a, a yeah, it was a dick pic. It was a picture of his boner. <laughs>、um, uh, he was actually、um, sort of sexting people. Couple of fans, who knows how many? He's never admitted to it. But then he actually、um, accidentally posted it onto the, his public tweet、mm. and Twitter、um, profile, which was like just stupid. But you know,、um, so yeah, that's been really funny.、Uh, of course, this week we have had the devastatingly sad news of the passing of Bell Hooks, a、mm-hmm. legendary critic, author, feminist,、um, racial scholar.、Mm-hmm. She was just like. So ubiquitous in terms of just、um, people who read along, read about race and feminism should would all definitely no doubt have come across her works. She published more than thirty, forty books.、Um, she wrote、uh, about films. She wrote she wrote children's books. She wrote about、um, the sort of enduring.、Uh, n- During dehumanization and exploitation of Black women, she wrote about Black malehood.、Mm-hmm. She just wrote about amazing things、um, that you know today we're still talking about. She was so kind of at the root of all the conversations we're having about intersectionality and all that.、Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised that、um, her books are not even more widely read by just like the general public because they're so accessible. I know,、yeah. they're so incredibly、mm-hmm. accessible. Yeah. So I came across her a few years ago when a friend of mine gave me、uh, her very famous book called All, all About Love. Love. Yeah. And、um, that really changed the way I I sort sort of thought about. What it means to love as a straight woman,、mm-hmm. and the kind of the exploitative white supremacist capitalist patriarchy in which we live,、um, and the privatization of the nucleus family, in the way in which it enables a lot of abuses to happen. You know, it really makes the man、um, at the head of the corporation. I'm putting it in、yes. quotation marks, being the、mm-hmm. nucleus family, and the woman being reliant on the man for her kind of means of survival, and then the children relying on the mother. Completely self-sacrificial、um, efforts for her to churn the churn the cogs of the, I guess,、um, company that is, you know, what we call the nucleus family in today's society. That really changed a lot of things for me. I was actually on.、Um, I didn't tell anyone, but I was on RN radio last night, Helen.、Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I was being interviewed about. Bell hooks. It was only、oh, literally、lovely. like a two-minute interview,、uh-huh. yeah. but I didn't tell anyone about it because I didn't want any of my friends or family to hear me. Because I think I get nervous if I tell friends or family that I'm going to appear on、oh, something. Okay, yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was、um, a really good opportunity, as always. You know, when someone significant dies, an opportunity for us to really, really. Acknowledge the、um, immense capacity and extravagant work that she did in、mm-hmm. her, you know, only few decades. She was sixty-nine when she died, which is very young. I'm amazed that she's only sixty-nine. 
and the amount of yeah. work that she has churned out through those I years. I know, it's, it's ab- absolutely insane. Yeah, and also that I, I agree, I do agree that I'm surprised that her works are not as popular as a lot of... Um, if you say that she's only 69, you'll consider her works is very contemporary, but at the same time, mm. you don't really see... This is about capitalism, and you don't really see her work on the top 10 all the time. That you will assume that because of the amount of the work that she has written and the short within the short time, I, I guess it's because sometimes we do feel a little bit insular within our own feminism circles that we talk about the ideas of feminism and it's really hard to expand it out because overall, like you said, it's the world is still very dominated by patriarchy and capitalism. And white people. And white supremacy, yeah. So yeah. the work is very her work is need to find a very difficult channel to go out to the general public. Well, um, I think it's. I mean, she's not. Um, she's not white. That's for one thing. Mm-hmm. And the publishing industry around the world is dominated by white mm-hmm. people, kind of being the gatekeepers of who gets to yes. broadcast their views. That's true. Um, she's not um, Brene Brown. She's not Glennon Doyle. She's not um, Cheryl Strayed. She's even better than all of those people I've just mentioned. Totally agree. But because yeah. she's not white, because she's not marketable, mm. um, because she talks about white supremacy, and she because she talks about the toxicity of of the nucleus family, mm-hmm. all those things that kind of Im- are embedded in white feminism, yeah. she attacks them. And so, of course, she's not going to sell, a lot. she's not marketable. Yeah. You know, she's not skinny. You know, she's not um, quote unquote acceptable by the white feminist movements. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why the marketing, you know, the marketing departments of publishing houses know that she, she doesn't tell white women. And white women are predominantly the people who are buying books. Yeah, and sharing, I consuming ideas. You know, her, yeah. her bell hooks's ideas. I think would be confronting to a lot of white people, Definitely. and so therefore, yeah. she's not palatable to their kind of narrow tastes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, agree. so it's sad that you know you get people like Glennon Doyle and um, Brene Brown talking about vulnerability and what it means to love, <laughs> and it's like. Dudes, fucking go read Bell Hooks. Like, she talked about this, like, fucking 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And she wrote in a way that wasn't... That didn't only speak to a narrow cohort of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. She speaks of the facts. Like, to me, those are the words of facts. The things that she, you know, explored and discussed is all the truth about the world. But unfortunately, down to white supremacy, uh, a lot of people, like you said, that uh, who have followed white feminism movement mm. deniers those and feels that they're that feel that they've been attacked that's why like you said they're not marketable yeah yeah and i'm sorry if you can hear this like awful sound behind me can what's you see, happening can you hear that it, it's um it's a helicopter that's going oh okay. like a bit above my head so really that is oh, really I bad i really hear you i hope mm. you can't hear it okay okay uh, it's a good thing that my neighbor's not renovating today. So, <laughs> Jesse's yeah, been asking why do I past. have buzzing sounds in on my end the past few weeks. Yeah, my white neighbors stopped renovating for one day. Yeah, well, I hope you can still hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you perfectly. Um, so I have finished reading Katie Kitamura's Intimacy, the book that you... Are you serious? Yeah. I literally gave it to you yesterday. No, you, you gave it to me about almost two weeks ago. But it's a really... It's not... A what? Th- I didn't. I literally gave it to you two days ago. 
No, 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 no. It was uh, I, I passed the girlhood to you. Yeah, oh, and I had okay, uh, Kitamura's yeah. book with me that day. I was reading okay, by the beach. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think it's not a it's not a hard book to read. I mean, there were words that I didn't oh, understand, sh- but it's just so okay. smooth. It was so smooth. I know. I know. And because she was written ex- in a first person um, position. Yeah. Um, you never found out her name because no one really yeah. addresses her, and I think there is the like. There's no complicity in her work, her paragraphs and her sentences. Um, what I mean is that she doesn't write with a lot of punctuations. And for me, that is, I don't know about everyone's reading abilities, but I found it difficult when there's a lot of punctuations and when there's too much sections to one, like uh, within a conversation, you'll find that I, I think... I'm seeing more writers doing this kind of writing styles, as in they just write it as what their um, mind thinks. And there's no... Mm. Uh, sometimes you might think that if you're if you're really constrained within a certain grammatical structure, you'll think that her grammatical structure is not correct because there's missing punctuations. Like, for example, she doesn't... When she's writing a conversation, she writes it within the paragraph without having... Um, how do I explain it? You know, there's a quotation mark when you're writing conversations between two people, but she doesn't do that. So for me, I don't know about our listeners. I don't know about you, Jess. When you're reading a book, do you have the voice appear in your head? Because I do, because sometimes um, when I start reading a book, uh, you know how often they have a picture of the author at the back of the book? And I look at it and I'll kind of imagine the voice they'll have and that when I read it, I'll have, oh, okay. I'll, I'll have that kind of um, the reflection of that voice inside my head as if the author is reading to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So to me, um, the inter- intimacy is quite a good uh, writing piece of work, I think. Um, the story wasn't too much exciting to me, but I, I think her writing style is quite nice. It's very contemporary. contemporary. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Katie Kitamura, um, I got into her uh, a few years ago when I picked up randomly um, at the Paddington Library, a book called A Separation. Mm-hmm. That was her book from several years ago. And it was just so kind of very, very eloquently written. Mm-hmm. Like the language is just absolutely easy. It's so fucking flawless. It's like yeah. it's like a Celine handbag or like <laughs> it's a very Chanel smooth. kind of. Yeah, it's just so freaking beautiful and, like, easy. It really just has this freaking easy way about the sentences. And it's so deceptive because those things are so hard to do. Intimacies actually was voted one of the top ten best books by the New York Times Review of Books. People, I guess. And mm. um, one of the uh, reviewers said that um, every single line is kind of... There's so much weight in every single line, but you don't really understand the weight until, like after you finish the entire book. It's basically about a woman who... Like, we don't even know her race. That's the thing. Like, Katie Kinemura mm-hmm. is um, Asian-appearing, but she, like, grew up in the um, Britain or America. I don't actually know. I think well, she's with her surname, she's, she's probably she's, Japanese. Yeah, yeah. she's Japanese-appearing. Yeah. Um, but I think she is, like, quite... She, she was, like, completely educated and raised in the West. The West, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, and it's a book about just the, the woman who goes to The Hague as a translator and translates for Interpreter, people. Interpreter, like, yeah, at the yeah, court. In, yeah, at the court of criminal... Like, the the place where they um, they convict, like, Holocaust mm-hmm. um, 
war crimes. Was like um, war crimes, exactly. Um, and that's the book basically revolves around her job um, and it the way in which she talks about the nuances of interpretation is really why I gave Helen the book because Helen, you're mm. a translator. Mm. I thought what I would have wanted to hear what you thought about those segments when she talks about it, and then really about her relationship with a married man, which really doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of she's the whole book. She's lingering. She's kind of just hovering above this state of uncertainty. Yes, she's not quite sure about her job. She's not quite sure about her future with this man. Mm-hmm. It's so fucking just. The whole book is like pregnant. It's like pregnancy. It's like a woman just waiting for something to happen. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as a translator, as an interpreter, Helen, how did you feel about those scenes where she does talk about the nuances of translating? Did you find it really like, did you well, see I, yourself? Uh, well, I, I think the standard of the protagonist's job is much higher than what I do. So it's somewhere, it's the, the standard of my work is much lower than the one that she wrote in the book well, her, yeah. because well, it's at the court. Very high stakes. Yeah, it's yeah, very exactly. high stakes and also I've been doing interpretations through online the past, you know, the past year. So I don't I'm, like I can't really understand her character's mood until that I read the book as in mm. how much stress and pressure that you would be. I mean, I, I haven't even watched the Nicole Kidman's movie, The Interpreter. I, I'm sure that... Which I love yeah, with Sean I, I should, I, I should se- watch I've it. I've seriously seen it like three times with that. <laughs> um, I think it's just you will be under a lot of pressure. Like, I can't yeah. put myself in that kind of pressure. Well, yeah. especially when you need to translate the statements coming out from witnesses and also the accused uh, particularly from war crime I don't think that I will be able to undergo that kind of pressure Um, yeah Helen you would just cry I would just cry yeah I can't can't, yeah I can't translate (laughs) and like I'll be like oh this is interpretable uninterpretable for me yeah yeah (laughs) which is funny because one of the part in the book um she wrote about a colleague of the uh, the main character yes. expressed his um, sadness when he needs to translate something um, from a witness regarding to like a murdering of kids and he right. said that right. he can even thought that he doesn't have kids himself he's got nephews and nieces he couldn't bear to go through it and I found wow. that um, not only the they also, I think the book also explores that interpreters at the courts or any situations is that even though that they're essential to what's happening, the case, for example, mm. the court case, mm. but also they need to detach themselves from what's happening as well and really interpret it in a very unbiased way because sometimes you will involve yourself emotionally. Like yeah, for myself, course. I'll definitely come to it. And... Translating languages is a type of work I've, I found very important, but at the same time, you're someone who is just a tool. You're someone, yeah, exactly. is, you're someone yeah. there. You're to, a messenger. You're a messenger, and how yeah. well that you do it, it, it really differs between interpreters because I found um, works that are interpreted or translated by different people, it comes out differently. So it is a creative yeah. work as well, but at the same time, interpreting at the core, you're a tool there to, like, being the messenger, and also you you can't involve your emotion nor you know feelings within it. I think it's just very hard. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't know that they have to change. I think within the book they say that they need to change like 
interpreter every 30 minutes or half an hour or something like that yeah, because your mind would just Im- exhausting. explode. Yeah, it's really yeah. exhausting. Yeah. Well, have you ever considered that kind of work um, in the past? I did, but I don't think I'll be able to do the court. Yeah, like I said, right, I, yeah, I'll yeah, be yeah. too emotionally involved. Like even, yeah. even if I'm working at, as a volunteer at the um, domestic violence section at the court, mm. I found it hard. Mm. Like I mm. have to... Yeah. Just let go and detach myself before I go home, or otherwise it's just too much for me, and it will kind of affect on, like that kind of feeling of aurora around me will just uh, affect the people around me. Like yeah, my yeah, husband yeah. will un- would know. They're, my kids will pick up that. It's just that yeah, kind course. of standards that I bring home. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um. So that's the book you have. Mm-hmm. Started re- finished reading. Yeah, what, finished what what's reading. your what's on your net book list? What's on your list? Um, I started reading Eat the Buddha last night. Um, okay. It's called. It's by Barbara Dimmick, uh Life and Death in a Tibetan Town. I think it's a, she's a journalist as well. Her previous book was called Nothing to Envy. So she's a journalist that based and covers stories around Asia. And this book. Was, she white. Yes, yeah, she's white. Um, why are you reading a white person? Because I wanted, because I Asia. couldn't find any other people that has written, or I, I'm, I'm sure they are, but I, I haven't come across with any up to date book about Tibet. Yeah, so this is pro- okay. pretty much the latest one at the moment. Okay. Um, okay. It was actually recommended by a podcaster in Taiwan. They read the. Oh, okay. Chinese version, so I can only got the get the English version. Now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so okay. I really want to know, you know, the what's happening in Tibet because you can't really find out. You you can't really yeah. know what's happening no, exactly. with the challenges with CCP. They're blocking all the foreign media's to go in. So yeah, I yeah, think yeah. this is a book that is it's about Tibet from the mid fifties up to and to to twenty twenty eighteen, I think. So it's actually mm. quite recent, yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. I applaud you for wanting to read, kind of. I applaud you for looking for information outside of just like journalistic pieces about what's going on mm-hmm. in Tibet, because yeah, like you said, a lot of it doesn't come out in the West. That's right. And yeah. what ends up happening? The reason why a lot of white people end up being able to being being the ones who are able to write books is because they're the one like. You know, white people get to have the resources often to actually do these things, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, I am mostly against, like, I have to do it for my job, but I'm most, like, um, I am mostly, I tend to not want to reach for fiction written by white straight people, Mm. but... um, but when it comes to nonfiction, the kind that rule um, loosens mm-hmm. for me because yeah. because I know that um, even though it's through a white lens that they're telling me the story, um, I I know that often they are the ones they are the only ones who can gain access into yeah. places. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I kind of loosened that law and yeah I read a lot of like my favorite book Far from the Tree is written by a white person. Mm-hmm. Um, he's gay, um, but uh, but I, I I am like quite liberal when it when it comes to nonfiction I'll read anything mm-hmm. I'm much more like freer in my rules yeah same I, I just thought that because I finished a, a fiction a normal a novel intimacy and I want to get mm. back to just read some of the non-fictions and maybe I just jump between the two genres you know fiction and yeah, yeah. so find, yeah. try to find a balance 
Okay. We'll take a break, yep. and when we come back, we'll talk about this thing called Asian cat fi- What is it? <laughs> Black or Asian fishing. Fishing, yeah. Fishing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <sighs> so many things to talk about. We'll be right back. All right, Helen. So um, what did Ariane Grande do that has uh, <laughs> seen a lot of backlash against her. Yeah, so I actually, uh, before we start talking about Ariana Grande, um, how this topic came about was that I saw someone share an article from SBS which is titled, Let's Talk About Black Fishing and the Aussie Beach Culture. Uh, it's written by Angelica Silva. Um, she wrote about her uh, experience of racism in school, being one of the like the five Southeast Asian students in all girls Catholic high school. So she will often encounter racist statement like, "Oh, Angelica is so dark that we if we take any photos tonight, we are gonna need all the flashes onto her," you know. Or, mm. um, "I'm surprised that you don't smell like curry every day." So, oh god, it's. So immediately that we know that she's a Southeast Asian ethnicity. So she's, they're making her feel ashamed about her color, where she came from. However, she said that once all those girls are out of high school, those who used to target her skin color began to darken their skins with tanning products or often would yeah. be like two, even two shades darker than her. And trying to establish yeah. that the darkest skin colors as a healthy glow. Mm. For white people, they consider it's healthy glow. However, for non-white people with dark skin, we are often associated with negative aspects and receiving the end of racism. Um, So firstly, I want to start with the concept black fishing, which is referring to the white people who uses makeup, tanning products and fillers or cosmetic surgeries, even hairstyles to make them appear not just Hmm. black, but everything that look racially ambiguous or mixed race. Mm. I've seen like actually I, I haven't I have seen white people doing it but also some Asians doing it as well because they yeah. want to have uh the proximity to so called black yeah blackness the black culture because black culture yeah it's becoming quite popular the last 20 years when we have yeah. a lot more African American singers African American actors and they seem to be cool you know, yeah. be, there's more exposures for them and they're becoming more popular. So that's black fishing. Um, you know, they haven't experienced the racism when they were growing up. However, they want to benefit from that kind of image. Now they're older. Yeah, that aesthetic of coolness. Older. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, like street style gangster. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which I had to say, yeah, a few years ago I went to see, um, there's this hip hop band. I think it. I think they're called The Regime here in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to see it with a friend who was into them. Okay. And then the whole time, like, basically there were a bunch the, – the band is a bunch of, like, white, privileged um, private school kids. Okay. Like, and they were, like, doing really kind of black-style moves and hip-hop. Uh-huh. This was at the Vic in Marrickville. And I was just like, fuck you guys so bad. I hated them so much. They, mm. The music was shit. Um, I hated them desperately. And I, I, I remember going home and wanting to write a whole – article about how much I deplored them just because like I hate it when private school kids like especially private school boys kind of put on this aura of like oh I'm yeah I'm so cool I wear my cap backwards and like my jean my like shorts my 
pants are like baggy and they kind of appropriate the the style of 80s black street mm-hmm. style yeah like kind of gangster and i'm like dudes you guys have no idea the history about the history of hip-hop and how mm-hmm. much of a political movement it is um they yeah. just kind of appropriate it and like oh i just i i desperately desperately hate anyone who went to a boys private school Mm-hmm. And you're white. I just want to like go <laughs> write another piece of. Oh my it. god! No, just like yeah, I'm gonna start. It's, it'll sound like I'm inciting violence. I'm not. I just like passionately hate anyone who was on um, private school educated, um, and who's like, yeah. But that's understandable because you talk. You're talking about the disparity of the socio socioeconomic differences between you know two two groups where you have someone who is so rich and privileged and also very entitled and picking up the culture that they basically don't yeah. understand the background I know, of it. exactly. And they never it's went so through. Insulting. They never went yeah. through the experience. Like hip-hop is all about um, rebellion. Re- it's all yeah. about rebellion and, and it's all about oppression, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and white privileged boys who go to high, private schools have no idea about any of that and then they think they can go to a, like a stupid uh, inner west um, pub and like he, like rap about being oppressed like, <laughs> what can they what are they being oppressed a, yeah exactly you yeah i just it makes me so angry <laughs> <sighs> okay so on to um, asian fishing according to the urban dictionary asian fishing is when someone who is not asian tries to look like someone who's from the asian descent this usually occurs when someone takes the sexualized and fetishized aspects of asian people and uses as an aesthetics or for their own advantages um, Asian fishing perpetuates the stereotypes and completely disregard the oppression of Asians have faced. So very similar to black fishing, uh, what we're talking about is Ariana Grande um, earlier this month that she had a um, photo shoot of her that um, showed a picture that everyone's like questioning, like, oh, who the hell is this? You know, if you don't tell me, I wouldn't know it's Ariana Grande. Um, I don't follow her and I don't know much about her. I've only picked up this piece of news when there's some discussions on the forum that I've joined. Um, I I just feel like, I I don't know how our listeners feel, but I think that she's just basically a shapeshifter, you know, like the one celebrity that previously has doing black fishing. I didn't even know that she's actually Italian white woman. (laughs) Until <laughs> yeah. that people start talking about it, I always thought that she's a Latino background or something like that because she was so dark before. Mm. And there's a huge debate online, on like I think it was on TikTok and also on Reddit as well. Um, people are arguing that she shouldn't be doing it because you know it's she never faced the discrimination when she was growing up as an Asian. To me, it's. There's a lot of people defending her because they don't understand the concept and continues to perpetuate that and also deny her behavior is because she's famous. She cannot be cancelled, okay? Well, well, as my great friend, my best person friend in the whole world, um, yeah, he who he has told me mm. there's no such thing as cancel. No, of course not. Yeah, yeah. no, but no, he actually gets canceled. look at um, freaking Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. C.K. Louis, like he's got his show after. Like nobody gets actually cancelled. No, yeah, it's just something that white people. Um, yeah. Creator to it, yeah, victimize to, to, uh, themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah. Um. So I think while exploiting the blackness and Asianness for her is like to try to attract more fans because all we know that in the past two to five years that the K-pop has become very popular mm. in the Western country. Mm. And mm. to me, what her move of doing that, you can say that, oh yeah, it's just a, like a makeup, you know, it's nothing wrong with her. But on the other hand, you think about it, it's a kind of like a white supremacy move as well because the certain beauty and aesthetic trend only becomes popular because white people are endorsing it, like without considering the trauma and the racism that has played in the past. Um, mm. The power of these white celebrities' holes now, which they consider is more as like exotic aspects, they're hoping, I guess it's like a marketing strategy as well to um, gain more popularity or perhaps create some kind of like tokenistic image and very performative. And they, yeah. they call themselves diverse. You know, yeah. That that's that's my point of view. Uh, I'm also seeing younger Asian by saying that, oh, I'm an Asian. I don't feel that it's offensive. It's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. I do feel like there's a slight internalized racism of those people. Like I'm being very judgmental here because they don't recognize that the pain of their previous generation has gone through because mm. of their skin. Mm color that had they have been discriminated then how hard yeah. that our previous generation or even us now trying to fight for anti-racism that now they can enjoy the privileges of not being you know criticized of their yeah. skin color yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i don't know I, I think you know ariana grande can do whatever that she like but she's just like a shape shifter to me and yeah i think yeah. it's after all it's all about marketing like yeah, yeah, exactly. I do have a complicated feeling about how she's doing it to use other racial features to like stir up the news rather than establishing an image that's really true to herself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it's whatever they do to make an appearance mm. of, for the artist to create an appearance that will sell, sell them like make them sexualized yeah. or cutesy like i think aria grande because she she looks kind of racially ambiguous although like if you just saw her i would have just thought yeah she's white um but there's something about kind of her mannerism that if you told me she was like half half filipino i would have believed you like she mm-hmm. she doesn't have a definite certain look about her i mean race is a construct you know we all know that um mm. But I think, yeah, like you said, um, whatever sells, basically. And it's so easy to sell female bodies as long as you're kind of um, attractive, which she is. Uh, I was reading mm-hmm. uh, uh, about Bell Hooks' criticism of um, Beyonce's Lemonade from 2000. Yes. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually don't remember when, 2018 maybe. Yeah, she was saying how the way in which, like, Lemonade was made, um, Beyonce wasn't really revolutionising or changing the way in which black bodies, female black bodies were being presented. And she, what she did in the video of one of the um, tracks that she had on her album was taking sort of the black body and sexualizing it in a, in a way that seems to be empowering, quote-unquote empowering, because we mm. see in one video Beyonce smashing windows of cars and, and it looks like with a baseball bat and it looks like she's, you know, whenever women com- commit violence, it's seen as like this very empowering thing. But Bell Hooks's idea was that um, her argument was that it's not powerful when it's not powerful or a world changing when one group of people the oppressed just simply take on the violence of the other group you know she was basically mm-hmm. Beyonce was basically like um, exhibiting male violence and like why should that mm. be seen as something empowering you know yeah and 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 like it's interesting 
I mean, she was basically doing what Pippi Lottie Wrist was doing in one of her video uh, in video artists. Pippi Lottie Wrist is um, an artist from Sweden, I believe. Um, yeah, your son Luke and I went to see her exhibit at the MCA several years ago. Mm-hmm. And there's a video of her, like, kind of waltzing down the street and she's got a some sort of, like... Um, pole a sort of metal pole and she's smashing windows mm. it's kind of a piece about anarchy i believe but um but that's basically what where beyonce took her um idea from she basically oh, stole okay. it um yeah but um but yeah I, I know what you mean it's just kind of awful when uh, basically at the end of the day capitalist rules capitalism is the destroyer of everything um and you know Ariana grande she's a she's a product she needs to sell yeah herself yeah, that's right yeah. so she'll do whatever she wants and you know like you said in the last couple of years k-pop and uh, asian culture has penetrated like the west has has um decided that this moment we're gonna capitalize on the great works of asian people you know like mm-hmm. and, and you know this is all related um you know when we think about movies like um, parasite squid game um btsd what what bts, BTS. What's, yeah what's blackpink <laughs> Yeah, what is that? I'm banned from Korea. Yeah, yeah. BTS. Yeah, we don't yes. really, yeah, we yeah. don't so really follow. Yeah, <laughs> no, we don't. Obviously, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's like um, capitalism, whiteness. They'll grab at anything that sells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they kind yeah. of like appropriate it because now it's becoming popular, and they have to grab a share of it as well. So you know, they can kind of display that they are following the trend. Yeah. Yeah, and there's yeah. something that I just very jarring for me is that it's becoming popular because there's an endorsement by a white celebrity. Again, it's down to power, you know. It's yeah. it's be it's because white people are liking it, so it's popular. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's it from me this week. Um, well, um, what have have you got any final um, Christmas shopping to do? No, I don't. Um, I've done most of the Christmas shopping. I think I probably just have to get. Um, I haven't even got. I haven't got the ones for my kids because they say that they don't need anything or they don't want anything. So, I think I'll cre- the. I've booked something for us to go as a family in Central New South Wales, but I don't know what's gonna happen with the case coming. You know, increasing. Um, but before I go, I want to do uh, just re, re just emphasize that the shout out for the business that we promoted last week: Enjoying Illustration, Amplified Books, Butter Butter Activewear, Catherine Chen's Hong Kong Postcards, and also uh, our sister Lisa's uh, Sweet Botanics Cupcakes. Oh, I think she stopped taking <laughs> she stopped taking orders. Um, but if you haven't already, you know, check out. Yeah, she's our, so busy. <laughs> yeah um check out our show link um, if you don't get it for the christmas you know keep those business in mind that you can still purchase their products for your next occasion for gifting what else do i need to say oh i want i do want to give one more uh recommendations before we end the episode today is um Taiwan Plus, which is the website that promotes Taiwan culture and media, it's which is accessible for people all over the world. They have put on a project at the moment. It's called Cinema Taiwan. You can watch some of the Taiwanese movies on the website, and I highly recommend for everyone to go and watch the trilogy of Fatherhood. Um, 
on the website it calls uh, Fathers Knows the mm. Best, the trilogy of fathers. Um, three movies by Li An and Lee, as the Western world knows. Um, I finished watching Pushing Hands this week, and I want, I'm going to start watching Wedding Banquo the next week. Lian, he explores the fatherhood through the lens of like a first generation immigrant and pushing hands. I'm surprised that I haven't watched this earlier, but because it's such an old, I wouldn't say it's a very old movie, but it was in the early 90s. So I was like 10 years old, so I wouldn't be able to watch it. Pushing Hands is a story about essentially an old Chinese father who arrives in US and living with his son and daughter-in-law and also his grandson and just going through all these culture shocks and what I found was quite interesting which I don't really see a lot on the movies is that the the couple is white woman and Asian man oh okay yeah interesting so I actually I highly recommend this movie because mm. um Lang Xiong which is the actor who plays the father in all three mm. movies he's a mm. brilliant actor he's so yeah. good yeah i think he, yeah. he really uh displays that the sense of father lovingness but it also the stodic um stodic kind of a presentation of a very typical asian dad yeah yeah, yeah exactly well yeah there's a lot of time in now for the next month or so um to watch a bit of you know old movies um, Andrew and I are going through Die Hard, the whole series. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The whole well, movie. Start <laughs> yeah, because like we were like, is it a Christmas, Christmas movie? Let's <laughs> yeah, go decide. <laughs> so we watched the first movie um, last week, and we're gonna go to two, three, four, and I think there's even five. I did not know that. I didn't even know there was a fifth movie. Yeah, there's the one with his kids or something. Or well, there's one with Justin Long, which is like awful. Yeah, yeah. I hate Justin Long so passionately. <laughs> And um, and then the fifth one has Jai Courtney that I just I googled it the other day. He's an Australian actor. Um, yeah. So, but my favorite one is number three for sure. Okay. Number yeah. three tops them all because it's got um, Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson. Yes. Yes. And we love just that so one. So funny. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. The gallons so. of water. I still yeah, don't I understand I the gallons of water. You still haven't figured it out. I figured it out when <laughs> we were watching the first time. I still. I will never <laughs> so be able funny. to figure it out. Yeah. Actually, Me and Maths just don't go. <laughs> Actually, I signed up for our kids to do it. It's so fun. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple. Remember to give us a five-star rating. And we'll welcome listeners to send us your feedbacks or any topics that you would like us to explore. Check out our updates on our social and make sure you share with your friends to help us to extend the visibility of Asian bitches down under. Um, so we'll speak to you next time, which will be the final episode yeah. of our year. Which we might record a bit earlier. Yes, yes, of course. Okay. Bye. Bye.